Hello! <laughs> My name's Justin DeClue, and I'm here today with... Will Sloan. And you're listening to the shocking, important cinema club. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and yes, it's Shocktober, and we're talking about things that are truly skin-tingling and maybe arousing as well. <laughs> yeah, the, the blood will uh, will curdle, and then it will fall from your face. And then it will go straight to your penis. <laughs> or other uh, member, depending on which sex you identify as that's right on this week's episode you know we've talked about universal horror we've talked about movies that scare us now we're going to talk about uh, an unusual topic a spooky topic a transgressive topic we are talking about hardcore horror now is this something that exists and is enjoyed by many will because some people would say that pornography and horror they cannot mix well maybe they can maybe they cannot but they have been put together mm -hmm. perhaps like oil and water multiple times and some of the movies that we're talking about also come from an era of pornography where there is already something tangibly creepy about their presentation yeah i mean i wanted to do this topic because I myself am trying to see, like, is there a canon here? <laughs> like, I don't know if this has really been canonized as a genre as such. Um, or that it has, like, big fans. And we should specify we only watched American horror pornography because if we traverse into, like, even just European, we're dealing with Jeff Franco, we're dealing with all sorts Joe of other I mean, yeah. Japan has all sorts of weird stuff, too. So, yeah, we are sticking to an American context, mostly a heterosexual context as well, although one movie has some exceptions. In it. And while I was taking notes, I was like, ah, oh, man, a lot of movies that we would tackle uh, when we're talking about the subject, we've already spoken about the directors like Roberta Finley, A Woman's Torment, Gerard Damiano, The Memories Within Miss Angie, Sean Costello, Forced Entry. Those would all be considered horror porns. That's true. And A Woman's Torment, probably the best one. Definitely. <laughs> Out of all the ones we're going to talk about today. Uh, but, you know, I did want to talk about this subject because there are there are a number of films that I think are interesting here. And, you you know, there are two very strong taboos in cinema, and that is the depiction of actual sex and actual death. These are things that are usually only simulated because to depict the real thing is to transgress some kind of boundary that the audience is not comfortable with. Uh, nevertheless, there are whole genres of films that have been created to accommodate just those things. Ah, Real death. the Mondo movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the most famous commercial movies to incorporate real death is uh, Cannibal Holocaust, the mm -hmm. Italian horror movie. And that has a number of scenes of animals being killed in it. We can spend all day discussing the ethics of that, but it's obvious what the intended effect is. And even the structure of the Mondo movie can be broken into like two strands where you have your faces of death, which are dealing with gross and horrifying stuff. But it also went into the sexploitation, like, look at all this sexy real stuff. That's true. That's true. Yeah, like there's the Mondo movies and the Mondo movies and like the Italian cannibal movies and stuff like that. They, you know, there is some overlap. Yeah, I those. mean, sometimes you get your sexy and you get your snuff, even though it's simulated in something like Emmanuel. Emmanuel and The Last Cannibal? Or Emmanuel in America also. Um, Emmanuel in America. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. But like in Cannibal Holocaust, you know, you see that turtle get chopped up early in the movie. And what Ruggiero Deodato is saying to you is anything can happen. In this Look film. at this. Anything can happen. We have just broken one of the taboos. We've shown you a thing.
thing die. So mm-hmm. who knows what's going to happen? And I think the horror porn movies kind of do something similar, like to depict unsimulated sex is to depict something uh, very real and vulnerable and raw. But they're not really making the connection of like, you're seeing real sex, now see real death. What they potentially say is like, this is a movie that could show you anything. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, a movie like a movie that's come up on the podcast before, The Taming of Rebecca by Phil Prince, which is, you know, as upsetting and unnerving a movie as has ever been made. Well, I had it on my list here. Oh, if we're going to talk about horror porn, definitely uh, Phil Prince and his Avalon movies would be up there because they're like the top tier oh i say top tier as if it's like the, the bottom best tier. yeah the bottom but there was tier. a lot of them and it's the ones that people go to when you're talking about like snm kind of pain and punishment movies well yeah and, and it's like the sex is unsimulated and then because because it's gone that far like those movies are saying let's take this to the logical conclusion maybe mm. maybe the pain is unsimulated too like isn't that it and doesn't that frighten you and when we're talking about movies we mean it in like the basis terms when it comes to those avalon movies it's like these are just the goods that's all we're giving you nothing else well <laughs> you can make an argument that some auteurs did work on those films like sean costello i don't know if i can make an argument for the taming of rebecca <laughs> but i would like to try well the taming of rebecca you know we could separate that one from the other million films they made i sent will like a little poster that said like 36 hours of avalon phil prince productions <laughs> the ones we're here to talk about are you know, mostly pretty fun and pretty goofy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't want to make people watch The Taming of Rebecca by Phil Prince. Didn't want to make you watch it. Um, but I do think that these movies do use unsimulated sex in such a way as to sort of unnerve you or to throw you off or to create this climate of saying like, anything can happen in these movies. Like these movies are are insane. Like this is something that the use of unsimulated sex can signal. When we talk about these movies, we also have to consider the context that they were made, which is that when you're making a hardcore porno, you have as little resources as possible to make a movie or do anything dramatically compelling because it has to be shot in a couple days and put out there because it is considered a very disposable genre of movie. Yeah, now these movies, you know, some of them that we watch are only separated by a few years, but they rep- those few years represent huge shifts in how these movies were made. So Widow Blue is one of them from 1970. One of Will's top 10 movies of all time. <laughs> yeah, it's on my sight and sound ballot. Uh, <laughs> but no, that one is two years before Deep Throat. This is very early on. This is the Wild West. There are no rules and regulations. This is, for Alyssa Rose podcast, should consider as like, oh, something weird films. <laughs> because like when I was watching, I was like, ah, it's like a something weird title. <laughs> like it's before Deep Throat. The kind of text hasn't been laid down. Anything goes. But you're going to see a lot of sex yeah and then later on like certain rules and regulations even if they weren't officially mandated Mm -hmm. like yeah by the hardcore pornography board but but there did eventually like in the mid to late 70s come this understanding look if you want your movie to play on 42nd street it has to have these elements Mm -hmm. it has to have this number of scenes it has to have this number of uh money shots etc and don't put any gay stuff in this which okay. is not the case with widow blue aka and i think it should have been gone by this title sex psycho love that love that title um but widow blue is directed by one walt davis who made a handful of very strange erotic movies in the early 70s <laughs> i could not find any more information on ride a Cockface from 1973 <laughs> uh, he made uh, maybe my favorite johnny wad film the danish connection wait who is johnny wad will 
Uh, well, he's the signature character of John C. Holmes, the 13-inch porn star, the inspiration for Mark Wahlberg's character in Boogie Nights. John Holmes, you will see in Widow Blue. Mm-hmm. Young John Holmes. So Walt Davis, though, is the director of this film, and this is a guy who merits further study. This is a guy you folks should be aware of. Has there been more written about him? Because I found one article when I was looking online for that, you know, Walt Davis hit. Uh, Vinegar Syndrome did dedicate a disc to his work, but without any content special features which is too bad because i would love to know more about him those three films including evil come evil go is his other big one which is a softcore film that's right Uh, as is the danish connection Mm -hmm. just very strange movies and he is in widow blue in the film's gay sex scene so i will attempt to summarize the plot and please understand that (laughs) take us beat by beat (laughs) through every sex scene i mean one of the things i love about widow blue is just the bizarre dream logic that it has it feels like a sort of like nightmare it is also so people should know 92% sex scenes. Yes. So you prepare yourself for some disappointment. I I have brain damage, so <laughs> I enjoy so it. So I want to take us back. When did you first see this movie? Probably when Vinegar Syndrome put this set mm. out. Yeah. It feels like one, though, you would stumble upon at like suspect video going through the bin. Oh, I wish And I you're did. like, oh, what's Widow Blue? I, would, I wish I had stumbled upon this on this without any contextualizing information, but it has continued to haunt me over the years. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think I rented it from suspect video on that Vinegar Syndrome disc. And like the Ring video, you tre- keep trying to put it on everybody that you meet. I know. know. You're like, you gotta watch Widow Blue. I know. I went on the Sleazoids podcast a few years ago and made them watch this. (laughs) I can't believe you made them watch (laughs) King Move. So, Widow Blue, take us through the plot. Okay, so there are a lot of characters. You've got Eva Blue. She's the titular Widow Blue. She's a pretty crazy woman. She's played by Susan Westcott. Uh, Her husband, Jerry is having an affair with her brother, Marshall. So Eva and her friend, Nick, break in on Jerry and Marshall having gay sex. Now, this happens half an hour into the movie. That's how little plot this film has. (laughs) And the style could be described as Andy Milligan-esque, where it seems to take place mostly in one room with everybody pressed up against it. And the camera's kind of floating around. Very (laughs) ho-shao-shan. Yes, exactly. But folks... They walk in on Jerry and Marshall having sex, and what do they do? They decapitate Jerry. I can imagine this being shocking to anyone sitting in a movie theater, just, you know, uh, getting their jollies off when suddenly this H.G. Lewis-style gore happens. And, well, that's not even the first shocking thing that happens, because the movie opens with just... Oh, straight sex. Straight yeah, sex, jumps to heterosex. Sex. And then it cuts to two people, like, under the covers. You hear them moaning. Covers come up. It's two men. Holy <laughs> shit, it's two men having sex. What did the audience do at this point? Would this be a movie that would play? in gay theaters i'm curious to know what the lineage of it was now on wikipedia which is not reliable at all Mm -hmm. it says it was never released which i don't believe it had to have been released somewhere it had to have played somewhere but it says that people didn't want to play this movie which i believe yes i believe that because audience uh theater goers in 1970 were probably like what the heck is this which audience do we sell this to so anyway eva nick and marshall they're all thrilled that they've committed this murder they're trying to get rid of jerry's corpse and then they just start fucking and sucking in various combinations eva in particular has just gone insane with the light she starts filleting the corpse mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's, this, it's, it's funnier than I'm making it sound. Yeah, it's very kind of tacky in that classic sexploitation way. Like those colors, if you've seen enough of those yeah. movies, you just recognize. And it's just, as Will just said, you know, lovemaking. <laughs> 
endlessly. There's oh, well, there's that great part where the phone rings and they're like, "Oh, don't answer the phone." And then the phone just keeps ringing as the scene goes on and you realize, "Oh, that that's an actual phone ringing at wherever they shot this." So the thing that you kind of respond to when it comes to Widow Blue is that like anything goes feeling that like there's violence, there's gay sex, there's like a giant orgy that happens at the well, end of the yeah, movie. Yeah, and it feels like a bad dream. Mm-hmm. There's this dream logic where they're trying to dispose of this corpse after they've had all this sex because they've been so excited from having murdered this guy and then their swinger friends show up one of whom is played by john holmes and the swinger friends are like hey why don't we come in hey uh, we're all we're all 21 let's have some sex so they're like well okay yeah. and then and that's uh, pretty much the end of the movie <laughs> uh, well not quite because it does end with somebody getting their dick uh, a bit off yeah yes <laughs> that's pretty much it um and you know the poetry of the film cannot be conveyed in my description i do like this movie more than any other living person <laughs> and how are the director's other films like evil come evil go evil come evil go i think is a little bit more polished Mm -hmm. feels a little bit more like a real movie but it's it's pretty weird danish connection feels like it was made up of a lot of different movies and in fact i think he did buy a bunch of footage from the filmmaker bob chin director and producer of all the john wad martial arts pictures but it also has like just weird science fiction elements to the danish connection folks I don't want to oversell it because it's kind of bad, but you should you should see it. All right. Will is hunkering down to finally write the definitive book on director Walter Davis. You know what? I'm going to do it. I might write an article. (laughs) Not a book. And so moving onward, we're taking a big jump to 1976 with the amazingly titled Hard Gore. Well, this one is kind of a minor legend. Mm -hmm. Minor legend. Well, I was very surprised when I started looking into it, and there's almost nothing written about this movie. And that's what I value about it, I think, because most- Where's the Rialto uh, Report episode on hard gore? I agree. Rialto Report. Come on. Let us know. Uh, Well, actually, I kind of don't want them to, because this is one of the few movies that hasn't fully been demystified. Manos, The Hands of Fate, we know everything about it Oh my God, yes. You know, Uh, even The Taming of Rebecca, we know everything about it Mm -hmm. now. But this movie, it's like- like it's, it, you know, it's this mystery. Don't really know who made it. The director is one Michael Hugo. Maybe people have found out. Uncredited, it said on IMDb. So somebody found out who directed it. Yeah, and I think he may have worked in Hollywood in some capacity. You know, somewhere Joe Rubin of Vinegar Syndrome sitting back and he's like, I know all this information no one's ever asked. (laughs) I mean, look, if somebody puts out the definitive book on the making of Hard (laughs) we'd be there. (laughs) I will read it. One of the few movies that remains a mystery. Oh, the definitive book on hardcore horror uh, pornography. (laughs) I guess I'll have to write it. (laughs) Yep, somebody has to take that bullet. So anyway, Hard Gore... Well, it's just like what the title suggests. It's very definitively a hardcore porn film that has horror elements. I did enjoy at the beginning that first 10 minutes plays like a classic kind of no-budget porno. It's a woman. She's a nymphomaniac. She's locked up in the mental institution. And what does a nymphomaniac do when she's there? Has sex, of course. Yeah, this is a very bad mental institution. This (laughs) is a mental institution that does not know how to take care. Well, we learn a little bit uh, later why that is. It's because they worship Satan. That's right. So she keeps having these very strange dreams of these... Weird orgies where people are wearing weird masks and doing strange rituals and they're ejaculating uh, nonstop, constantly. Oh, they love ejaculating to the point that sometimes it's just dildos ejaculating. Just just spewing out streams of uh, milky liquid over and forever and ever and ever and ever. I was impressed that I could tell in some of these sequences, the director's like, I'm going to make an attempt. There's a dolly shot where the woman is standing <laughs> yeah. on it and she's moving down the hallway like a Spike Lee film towards a giant like colored door. There are strange goings 
on. All the nurses that she has sex with keep dying. <laughs> yeah. all... Don't put that electric dildo into where it's supposed to go. It may start a fire. There are some bad people at the hospital. There's a hideous scene in the morgue at the hospital, uh, which I do think is like genuinely kind of like... You know, a pretty ugly scene, frankly. <laughs> I mean, this is an ugly film through and through. Well, I love that you can't get a good-looking version of this. It really only seems to exist. Maybe someone's got a print somewhere, but it only seems to exist on a shitty VHS master. It's a copy from the great Alpha Blue Archives that put it out into the world. Alpha Blue Archives, for whom no image quality is too bad. No, but sometimes, you know what? It's maybe the only version that they can get out there. That's Hey, they're doing God's work. And it, it's just filled with, like... Uh, you know, sex scenes where they're in a giant white room on what looks like a rotating bed, or it's a man in a executioner's mask having sex with a woman doggy style and then putting her head in a guillotine and bringing that guillotine down. Oh, and somebody else gets their dick bitten off. Yes, that's right. That, that happens early in the film. That's a classic go-to horror porn thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and whenever, whenever that happens, I'm always just hooting and hollering and clapping. <laughs> I think that Hargore, though, is kind of like the, you know, base text of what you expect a horror gore porn film to be, which is like not much story, lots of sex interrupted every now and then with some gnarly H.G. Lewis style gore. Yeah, I think you're right. I watched another film this week, uh, you know, just for fun, just because I was having so much fun in this topic, (laughs) just threw it on. Vinegar Syndrome put out this great, like, multi-disc release a few years ago of just, like, one-day wonder porn films. Uh, Thank the maker for Alpha Blue Archives and Vinegar Syndrome. Where would we be in porn, you know, history if we didn't have those two uh, companies? It was called, I think, like, A Night at the Pono. Mm -hmm. And uh, it had a bunch of, it had, like, ten sort of weird horror genre porn. (laughs) Now, you watched a uh, porn giallo, I believe, for the second time, right? No, this, I have, this was the first time I Okay, and it was from that set. It's called Come Deadly, and the reason I didn't watch great title. Yeah, the reason I didn't watch it until now is because I knew it was going to be bad. (laughs) Yes, and it was. Well, you knew it was going to be bad. (laughs) Like it was going to be a revelation of any kind. But here's the thing: it's like having this podcast. Sometimes I have the opportunity to be like, well, now I have a reason to watch it. (laughs) Yes, there you go. So I'm going to watch Come Deadly from 1973. They did say on the box that it's a porn giallo, and I was skeptical. I thought that sounds like a company trying to sell me on this but no they're right it is a porn giallo it's got a masked hooded killer does he have black gloves yeah he's got black gloves he's dressed in all black definitely was made by somebody who liked those dario argento movies at the time could it be a william lustig type if you will so what is the uh, narrative to sucking and making love <laughs> ratio <laughs> the horror element probably occupies 30 percent. okay you know that's pretty good for hardcore porno yeah it's pretty good but i mean yeah it's not a good movie (laughs) nothing about it is good it's not like radley metzger behind the camera bringing real artistry to these events i do think that it's a problem that you can't hear any of the dialogue that is a big problem (laughs) but yeah it's this it's (laughs) the director's like who cares who's listening to the dialogue for this it's this killer who's stalking this theater company and Mm -hmm. one by one etc etc oh can you imagine it was like a killer in a porno theater killing patrons that would be wonderful (laughs) a great movie yeah i do recommend this movie though just as i recommend every movie ever made because somebody worked on it uh no i mean it's just great it's somebody's favorite movie every movie is and not true (laughs) 
<laughs> Absolutely not true. It's great that this movie exists. It's a funny idea for a movie. If you throw it on as background noise, it's funny. Mm-hmm. And it's great that it's been preserved <laughs> and that it made its way here. And that's enough. <laughs> as you wrote in your review, your partner came over and is like, oh, wait, are the neighbors having sex? Oh, no, you're watching a porno again. <laughs> so we ended with a film. I'm like, listen, Will, we're in the 70s. We've got to move to 80s when we're still shooting on film. And I have seen this film, Driller from 1984, a porn parody of Michael Jackson's thriller said to be from the golden age of pornography. Would you agree with that statement? Because I don't associate the uh, mid 80s with that. You know, I've seen the golden age of pornography classified as like 1972 to 1985. Okay. So, so it's like a that's a long stretch. It gets, it gets in just under the wire. I personally think it's stretching it, mm-hmm. especially if you're using this as an example. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's shot on film, so I'll give it that. I don't think it's a worthless movie. No. It's called Driller, a sexual thriller. I mean, what's the difference between this and Ed Wood's Orgy of the Dead? I think that's a good question. I think it's, well, I mean. I mean, one of them is more fun. I like one of them better. (laughs) That's the difference. But it is is comparable. It's similar. So it's, yeah, it is a feature length porn parody of Michael Jackson's thriller music video. Now, it was directed by Joyce James. Uh, Oh, really? (laughs) Not the real name of the director, but I was was interested to learn uh thanks to the letterbox review of evan Perchel. i apologize if i said that name incorrectly he is a amazing film historian who's currently saving some gay horror pornos that he's screening one in new york isn't he soon yeah that's right on october 29th and 30th he's showing this movie called sex demon which is a gay horror porn from 1975 which has been like lost for decades he's showing that at the spectacle cinema in new york oh we love the spectacle cinema they also hosted a bunch of Motorn movies too. Uh, I should also say that Evan runs a great podcast through like the history of gay pornography called Ask Anybody. Mm-hmm. Would highly recommend checking that out. And I'm glad that he as well is out there saving those films, which I hope like a company like Vinegar Syndrome eventually puts, they got it, right? Well, Vinegar Syndrome has, I think maybe with him in collaboration, I'm not sure, but they've scanned some lost gay porn movies and they've put them up on like hotmovies.com, mm. you know, so you can- Do you think they haven't put there. them out on DVD and Blu-ray because they're like, there's not a market for it? <laughs> I think so. I mean, they have put out some gay porn us, movies. Us, we'll buy it. Yeah. Throw a bunch of special features on there. We'll be there like Grease Lightning. <laughs> Look, I will take any kind of like bizarre outsider art. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but don't just put the movie. I mean, if that's all you can do, you can find people to talk about it for free. Probably not us on gay pornos. No. I mean, hopefully Evan can jump in there because what a fascinating and undocumented uh, world that is. But so, yeah, he wrote a letterboxed review of this driller, a sexual thriller. Mm-hmm. And it mentioned that, oh, this was actually made by the woman who wrote Black Roses and Rock and Roll Nightmare. And I was like, whoa, I know those movies. The wow. ones directed by John Fasano. And so I... So add this to your 52 films by women letterboxed list. <laughs> oh, it is there. I've seen it on those lists. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so Cindy Surreal is her name. And she is the one who directed this film. And I found an article about the making of the film. And I also learned that our guy, Roger Watkins, director of Last House on Dead End Street, and a lot of horror-tinged hardcore pornos as well, like corruption was involved in some way on this four-day production. That's right. Roger Watkins was the uh, production manager. So us Watkins heads, we're looking for the... <laughs> that o- Watkins o- Even though in the interview with Cindy, she's like, I would look around and Watkins would just be gone. <laughs> so he wasn't really that much of a help. Well, he famously hated making porn films and he would sort of channel his contempt for pornography into his movies. And I mean, you know, 
Driller is a very unsexy film. So Yeah, very unsexy. It starts with a bunch of people in a theater, aka the warehouse where they shot the entire film. And there's a Michael Jackson impersonator singing a original song, I believe. You'd never know. A pop star named Mr. J. Mm-hmm. So Mr. J, you know, the Joker. Everybody yeah, loves him. That's right. The movie kind of picks up where the thriller music video left off, where mm-hmm. there's this young woman who's a super fan of Mr. J, and he shows up in his werewolf guise with a big werewolf cock (laughs) (laughs) and he takes her to this strange dream world where there are these orgies it's on some kind of like castle cemetery set with a lot of smoke dry ice machine going really heavy yeah they waited for uh the senior class or whatever high school they shot out to move out and they kept the halloween decorations up so they can go in and shoot it you know when i compared it to orgy of the dead i did so because once they get to this like dungeon set no more plot it's just people having sex one a lot, after a lot the other. of vibes though <laughs> yeah okay. bad vibes <laughs> yes well i mean you weren't um into the like golden dildos that are like pulsating <laughs> that I'm, gonna, using. I'm gonna give this movie some credit because mm. it is genuinely unpleasant it's genuinely <laughs> not fun to look at or watch what you didn't like the quasimodo looking fellow that like talks like peter lord is like yes yes do it i did not like him he had hideous ugly makeup yes like toxic avenger-esque i said yeah disgusting and i kind of want to cut the movie some slack for that almost because it in a weird way it doesn't pander (laughs) no it doesn't it's it's so ugly and unpleasant it's for people i guess who like this kind of horror and sex you get it on screen it's right there it's like you some of those movies that came out a few years ago like you know seinfeld a triple x parody Mm -hmm. stuff like that those are basically just porn movies that have like ordinary porn movies with a tinsel of Oh, there's a guy dressed like Kramer. <laughs> yeah, there's a guy that's Kramer that's having sex with, I don't know, Jerry. And when, I've never seen those movies. <laughs> no. And when the sex scene starts, it's just a normal sex scene. Mm-hmm. It's not like, as like the sex scene's going on. Well, in this movie, Driller, it's just this constant nightmare world <laughs> of people in awful makeup with the dry ice machine going and this heavy omnipresent fake michael jackson score and it always keeps cutting back to like the fake michael jackson and like women like dancing (laughs) there are so okay what i also like about this movie is the dance numbers are so bad (laughs) well you know that they made it up on the spot and that's all they had to go for i mean they're good for bad dance numbers Mm. but they're still bad (laughs) and the movie the movie does have kind of a a vibe of like this is the be kind rewind version of the thriller music video (laughs) that's right but with more werewolf cocks in it it does have a certain atmosphere this film like it has well it has a heavy bad atmosphere <laughs> i mean it is definitely not something i would throw on at a halloween party <laughs> well, <laughs> well, i don't want people to leave i don't know <laughs> One, there was yeah. one Halloween party where you famously threw on Ernest Scared Stupid, hoping we would all leave. That's not true. I just wanted to watch Ernest Scared Stupid. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Another you myth. that in your mind. Another myth punctured. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love Ernest Scared Stupid? I mean, after that viewing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after that Ernest Marathon, oh. it's like sweet golden nectar oh, <laughs> compared man. to the late period Ernest movies. But back to uh, Driller. <laughs> it's not very good. No. But, you know, there's monsters. They're having sex. That's pretty much all it is. I'm glad it exists. Mm -hmm. It's funny that it exists. It's funny. This movie has a very, very, very small but real place in the cultural imaginary. That's true. Just just as like people, a lot of people just sort of know, oh yeah, there was that porn parody of Thriller. And that's nice. That's nice. I mean, it's not gory like the other movies that we talked about. It's not transgressive in any way other than like horrifying monster man having sex. At one point, there's a zombie orgy, including 
seeing um, a guy in a Richard Nixon mask and a guy in a Ronald Reagan mask. Yeah, that's baffling. I mean, <laughs> what's spookier than that? You do wonder. Okay, I guess. Well, they it... ran out of time. They probably didn't have enough time to do zombie that's makeup. True. Wanted to throw some people in there. When did the Dark Brothers start making their films? Around this period where that like kind of like neon look. New way yeah, stuff and with stuff a like lot that. of like. The sex in the Dark Brothers movie is like new way. That's mean. Yeah, it's like it's ugly and it's rough, but it's also supposed to be kind of hot in that Mm. way, you know? In this movie, it is not hot. No. (laughs) I mean, it stinks of desperation. And when you read the interview with the director, she's like, I didn't know what I was doing. I had four days. The fact that there's anything that was out there is good enough for us. What have we learned today? Uh, Horror and pornography. Uh, Mostly, you know, making love more than anything else (laughs) than the horror part. Well, I guess we learned no lessons then. Is there a canon, though, that could be made? Because if we put in the other movies that I mentioned at the top of the podcast, like the Roberta Finley ones, the Sean Costello ones. I did make a little bit of a letterboxed list. Oh, did you? Yes. I made a letterboxed list called Hardcore Horror that uh, collects a number of these movies. And I'm hoping we have one listener out there who's brave enough to watch every single one of these. Everyone? Yeah. So I'm looking at the list right now, and there are some that I don't recognize, but I'm glad that you have A Woman's Torment. You got some Joe D'Amato, Porto Holocaust. Does that have hardcore pornography scenes in it? I've never actually seen it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> it's, it's very bad. So, um, I, oh. I would, I would say though that like, yeah, there's, there's a limit to how many of Isn't these. Isn't Intrusion a good one? Intrusion's a pretty good, like, roughy, mm-hmm. if you're into that kind of thing. Yeah. Which I you mean, may very well not be. I think that when you're going into like horror pornography, you're instantly going into roughy territory because that's where it kind of moves towards. Yeah. I, okay. I would say that what really attracts me to this topic is it's like what we talked about in our episode, What Scares Us. Mm-hmm. And some of these movies, it's that mingling of reality and fantasy. It's that it's that this can be real. You look at a movie like Forced Entry, and because it's uh, because you're dealing in unsimulated sex, like you're thinking, okay, something is real here. How much is real here? So I hope that we suggested some frightening movies that people hadn't seen before. Yeah, what what I'm trying to say is, you know, you people watching your Shocktober horror movies, like you're like throwing on Return of the Living Dead or Un- Texas Chainsaw yeah, Two. Yeah, man up. Man up and watch something really transgressive. Yeah, when you're having that horror party, you throw on Widow Blue. Oh, yo, you think you're so cool because you saw Titan. <laughs> Titan, you mean? Titan. Yeah, no, yeah. Watch uh, the, the story of Prunella and then come back to me. <laughs> And as per usual, you can send us emails at importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. And our first letter is from Alan Bancroft, and it goes, Hello, Important Cinema Club. The end of your What Movie Scared Us episode, where you asked listeners to share their own stories, inspired me to share with you two the story of a movie that scared me as a young lad. Growing up, my mom had very strict rules as to what I was allowed to watch, and so my exposure to horror was nearly non-existent. I'd like to think that at least partially explains the fear experience at the hands of this movie. One of the houses I lived in had my bedroom place at the end of a long, skinny, and dark hallway. Ooh, always a scary uh, place. Whenever I would wake up late at night needing a drink of water, I had to make the long journey through the claustrophobic darkness out to the kitchen, passing through the living room immediately upon exiting the hallway. That is a long way to traverse as a kid. No wonder you'd be scared. One night as I emerged from the hallway, the light of the television greeted me as my father laughed from the couch. As my eyes rose to meet the television, I was confronted with the image of a rabbit, but not just any rabbit. 
This rabbit had, as some might say, nasty big pointy teeth. Yes, this <laughs> rabbit was a rabbit from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. The image of it beheading men covered in blood mortified me. Should this scene have given me nightmares for months to follow? Probably not. But my sheltered 10-year-old psyche couldn't handle the combination of such an innocuous animal with these base, heinous deeds. And the fact that my father would laugh at this horrible act of dismemberment only further added to my terror. Within a year, oh my god, a year, my fear subsided and I became, like many grade school boys at the time, a huge fan of the Pythons. My fondness of them persists to this day, which I like to think makes this anecdote even funnier. Anyways, thanks for the stories of what movies scared the two of you as kids. Uh, I could imagine as a 10 or younger, seeing that scene out of context would terrify you. I completely agree. Yeah, and even in context, if you were really young, I mean, the gore in that movie is very graphic and intense. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Can you imagine being like, I am kept late at night by Sam Peckinpah's salad days? <laughs> I, re- I remember a kid when I was in like grade school, like like really young, saying that he saw the meaning of life and that it, the it, guy exploding. Yeah, very it, disturbing. Yeah, it gave him nightmares. That and also the live organ transplant scene. <laughs> yes. Like, it, yeah, if you're a kid, that's scary. <laughs> yeah, it's bloody, it's gross, and it feels like a serious British context. Yeah. I mean, it's not shocking that it would scare you, especially if your parents try to keep you from all that stuff so you have no kind of um, exposure to even the slightly horrific. That's how you get serial killers, man. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're a parent out there, and Watch, will, show them the taming of Rebecca. <laughs> yeah. And they'll build them up slowly. Park your five-year-old son or daughter in front of the TV and show it and say, you better like this. Yeah, and then we're moving on to hard gore. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you very much for the letter. And as per usual, you can send us emails at importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. This week on our Patreon, we consider Shocktober. What are we talking about, Will? Well, we're sort of talking about Hammer Horror. (laughs) We take a lot of detours. No, we take a two-minute detour right at the beginning. (laughs) We take a two-minute detour at the beginning just just riffing about, like, well, well, you'll find out. Social media. So check in um, our patreon.com slash the important cynical. We kind of make it a, basically an episode on Hammer and why we haven't talked about Hammer. That's true. But but we also devote particular attention to one of the lesser loved Hammer horror movies, but one that we think is pretty good, which is The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, the Hammer horror kung fu movie from the 70s. Yeah, that the Shaw brothers were uh, co-producers on. As you were talking, I was like, oh, yeah, we did take a long detour about being like, who are these nostalgia magazines for? Yeah, that's <laughs> right so you can check that it's out it's a wild and woolly episode and you can hang out with the boys and you can pretend you're the third guy in the room at patreon.com slash the important cinema club and get on there as well if you're a ten dollar uh, subscriber because you can vote which famous horror film we'll have to do as a patreon episode will it be phantasm will it be the lost boy it won't be lost boys nobody voted for that i think Good. they're like neck and neck though that there's like other movies near uh, the bottom of the list like jacob's ladder and some other one that uh, people mm-hmm. really want us to talk about and you could be the deciding vote so become a Patreon subscriber now. And next week, ah yes, pain and pleasure, indivisible, because we're going to be talking about Hellraiser. That's right. We do a franchise every year in Shocktober. We've made it through all the good ones. And what's, I mean, we still have Leprechaun, of course. That's true. <laughs> and what's shocking about this franchise, Will? I have never seen a Hellraiser movie. <laughs> Not a single one. So I'm excited. Yeah. Let's go. You're probably going to see it and it's like, ah, it's too late for me to see this now.
I guess. I don't know why I never saw them. You know what? You know why I think it is? It's because the Nightmare and the Friday movies and the Halloween movies, those already take a lot of time to get through. <laughs> they do, yes. And then Universal and Hammer. And do fuck. you know what I learned There's this There's so week? many fucking movies out there, okay? <laughs> that shocked me is that Matthew Kumar has never seen a Friday the 13th movie. Really? Yeah. Well, I don't want to shame anyone. No. It's I, not like those are, you know. No good. <laughs> I, he, could, he could have better uses of his time, <laughs> That's for sure. true. But that seems like actively trying to avoid uh, those kind of films, I guess. What was his explanation? Uh, he just said uh, it just never really came up. And I guess, I guess you know, if you never have uh, an interest in horror, because that's like the magnet that you go towards because they're the most popular and they're like the forbidden fruit. Yeah. And then it moves out from there. And I don't think he's never ever really had that interest. So, you know, lots of people like there. Hey, he said, uh, let's do a marathon. Let's watch them all. I'm going to watch them all in one go. Oh. What could that experience be like? like? Oh, man, that would be so fun. Yeah. You've never seen one. And then suddenly whoosh, you're taking and Suddenly you in. see the same movie eight times. <laughs> and you're like, wait, he's going to space in this one? What's going on? Oh, God. I would hate to be you for the the first like two movies of that marathon <laughs> yeah. you know yeah two and a half movies let's be honest and the last couple the puzzle also. box <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then most of the middle and then <laughs> so that's it for this week's episode of the important cinema club i've been justin clue i'm will sloan thanks for listening hello we interrupt the regular scheduled programming to thank some of our new patrons, who include Hayden Michael Cole, David Valkanet, Ferris Zaki, Phil Brown, Tedas Duras, Andre Lekvi, Surgery Head, and Tom Golden. Thank you very much for becoming patrons. And if you're out there, love the show, and want to help in a different way, you can also give us a review at Apple Podcast or whatever podcast tool that you utilize, and bring the smile to me and Will's face. And with that, we now return you to your regular scheduled programming. Well, I went to see the new James Bond movie yesterday. Finally. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was fun. Yep. Better than Spectre. Yeah, better than Spectre, I guess. Oh, ah. Really? I thought it was about the same as Spectre. Oh, uh, I remember Spectre being such a drag, and I, I had fun with this one. I kind of had a good time watching Spectre again on TV a few <laughs> a few months ago. I don't know. Bond got to say puns in this one. I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was fun, and it had a lot of the had a lot of the Bond stuff I like in it. Like, You're like, Christoph Waltz is back. Get him out of here. Nobody wants him. I, d- I don't like that serialization shit. Oh, no. Yeah, you want it like new adventures every time, right? Yeah, I want him. Every movie should start with a big stunt, and then he goes to M's office, then he goes to Q, and then he does... James Bond doesn't have sex with enough women in No Time to Die. I mean, I agree. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I noticed that this movie has underperformed at the North American box office. It's doing well overseas, but it opened a little less than they expected. <laughs> Maybe it could be, I don't know, COVID or stuff like that. Well, it could be COVID. And I actually want to analyze this a little bit. I want to introduce a little bit of Will's Business Corner here because... Mm-hmm. I, That's the sound effect <laughs> to get into it. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of a sense of people are unsure... To what extent people are comfortable going back to theaters because a movie like Venom comes out unexpectedly makes $90 million in its opening weekend. But that's a bit of an aberration. There are so many other movies that have underperformed and maybe it's because they've been premiering on streaming at the same time. I think that has a lot to do with it, like, yes. Like uh, The Many Saints of Newark or uh, Cry Macho or Space Jam 2. or maybe, <laughs> Nothing to do with quality. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the other thing. It's like maybe also people don't want to see those movies may, and and a lot, of, a lot of the movies, a lot of the movies that were like, okay, this is the one that's going to get people back into the theater like fast nine did okay Mm -hmm. did pretty well you know it's on a downward slope right people are getting less and less excited about that series when you see that it made less money than the last few did how much of that is covid how much of that is people just exhausted with the movie how much of it is people have gotten out of the habit of going to see movies and then the big movie is fast nine and they're like 
I already get it. I have to tell you, though, that I know somebody who loved Venom, loved it. And they were like, I don't want to go see the th- to the theater to see it. Now it's this COVID stuff going on. <laughs> so Interesting. That is a big element of it mm-hmm. as well. How much of it is like even No Time to Die, people are like, do we need another James Bond movie? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, when Skyfall came out... It's going to be better than Quantum of Solace, we promise. Well, Skyfall, I don't know, it caught the zeitgeist in such a way. It was just like this phenomenon when it came out. It was the biggest Bond movie in 50 years. Not me. I I, I remember seeing it opening day... And I was turned away because it was, they said, oh, sorry, that says that it's uh, midnight on uh, Friday. That's actually, you know, the night before. And I was like, me and my friend were like, what? And there was like a bunch of us. That, that, happened, like, that happened to me too when I tried to see the last Star Wars movie, by really? the way. I, I, I fucked it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all had. And then finally, when I did go see it, I was like, eh, it's not that good. But people love it. So people I'm in loved the minority. It. And the two since then, I don't know, there's just been a general sense in the marketing of them and the reception of them. No, no time to die. The endless marketing of it yeah that's been going on for two years they seem to the the two movies since then seem to be kind of like coasting on the fumes of skyfall you know Mm. what i mean it's like they are like these movies are the sequel to skyfall and then how many times can (sighs) you get people excited to say he hates serialization none of that no no i'm not trying to say that what i'm trying to say is like the general sort of malaise that's affected the box office i cannot pinpoint to what extent it's covid and to what extent it is dissatisfaction or disinterest with the movies themselves i think it has a lot to do with covid because i think that people if they was more free and there wasn't like a feeling of that that they would just go see movies because it's something to do (laughs) but venom made 90 million (laughs) dollars it did people love venom does it say something about the audience to venom that they're just going out there and seeing that movie i don't know i saw it opening day so you know and i didn't like the first venom did i have fun with the second one Yes, I did. But you did say that uh, No Time to Die is doing pretty well internationally, where they have COVID a little bit more under control. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Than North America. Um, But also Bond always does well internationally. Mm. It always does better internationally than in the US. Well, you know what happened with James Bond, right? That Amazon bought the right to uh, to the franchise? Well, Amazon bought MGM. Yes. So is there going to be big James Bond movies anymore? Is there going to be a little bit of James Bond Jr. in the streaming space? Oh, you think think we're going to get like... like, Spin-offs? Like money penny the series oh god yeah no they can't do that because they it has to be the the canon of movies <laughs> no <laughs> i like how will you're like clutching the, like, it can only be the movies <laughs> yeah the, a movie comes out every two to seven years nope and they're gonna fire the broccolis get them out of there well <laughs> yeah, that would be get okay. those zombies yeah. <laughs> and they're gonna hire i don't know brett ratner it's gonna <laughs> brett ratner. the james Bond. oh yeah <laughs> there's no hotter name in tinseltown right now than brett ratner <laughs> everyone's dying to work with that I mean, guy. what would make you like really excited for James, a James Bond movie if they made like an announcement of uh, is there any way yeah Pierce Brosnan coming back <laughs> no at, a multiverse James Bond where they have like a Timothy Dalton still alive okay. so he comes back multiverse James Bond you ask me what would get me excited about a James Bond movie any James Bond movie will get me excited. I'm excited really? for every and any James Bond wow. movie. I will always go see them. I mean, I speak of a certain malaise around this one, mm. um, but whatever. I still went to see it. How has no one made a Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, like fake spy movie where they're like a team up film? That I would love to see that. I mean, they've each made, well, I mean, Brosnan made The November Man. Yes. Yeah, so that's, true. that's kind of his never say never again. Yeah, but I want them together having adventures. I would love that. Directed yeah. by, I don't know, Rennie Harlan. Rennie Harlan, yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right.